kids are dismissing, let me encourage you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We are the second message into the short series of four messages um, where we're focusing on the true vine. Where we're focusing on the true vine. True vine is... Uh, in the passage we're going to look at today from John 15, Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine. As we have sought the Lord in the work of this church, the work of this congregation, we uh, come to the realization several months ago and have been in the process of since, um, of planting a work, of starting a new church. And several weeks ago, I think we've kind of settled, though we've not voted and all that kind of stuff. We've settled on the name True Vine Baptist Church. And so I think it is important for us to understand what it means to be the true vine and to be in the true vine. That's why we began walking through this series. So we'll be two more weeks looking at uh, John chapter 16 next week, John chapter 17 the following week. But today we're in John chapter 15. And this is where we find those words. I am the true vine. Uh, I would note... If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, all of John chapter 15 are the words of Jesus. Um, nobody else speaks in this whole chapter. Now, the whole Bible is the word of God. Uh, whether it's red or black or whatever shade of, uh, of text your computer or your device or your book may have. But... Uh, I think what this notes, especially right here, moments before his arrest, moments before Jesus will go to the cross, Jesus has something important to say to his disciples. He has something important to say to us. And uh, I said this last week, but it behooves us to to uh, to take note of that, to recognize what he says. John chapter 13, verse 30, kind of sets the context for this. After Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, after he had instituted the Lord's Supper, the Bible says in that passage at the end of the chapter there that immediately they went out. Jesus and his disciples left that upper room and they went out and it was night. When we come to John chapter 15, the disciples have likely walked through the city following Jesus through the town to the east of the city across what was called the Kidron Valley towards the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. Again, east of the town. And here Jesus picks a new focus of his teaching. And here, as I said a moment ago, we as this body have found special interest and special meaning in the words of Jesus. And so I want to offer us this morning both a word of hope and a word of caution as we plan, as we pray, as we study regarding launching a new church, especially one that is entitled or titled or named True Vine Baptist Church. The word of hope is that if indeed we are faithful to Jesus' teaching in John 15 and the rest of the Bible, but if we're faithful to Jesus' teaching, we will see fruit. God will bless our identifying with the person of Christ will bring great joy, even in the suffering that we're going to recognize 
Jesus speaking about at the end of this chapter. The word of caution is likewise evident. If we are true vine in name only, then the dead branches will be cut away and thrown into a burning fire. And I know that sounds harsh, but God's word, God's son, and God's son's church are serious business. They're not to be taken lightly. Beloved, we have to approach this as serious business. Loving one another seriously. Caring for one another seriously. Fellowshipping seriously. And even having fun and enjoying the company of other believers, we take that seriously. We're serious about sharing the gospel. We're serious about making disciples. And we're serious about abiding in Christ and in His Word. Beloved, it is exciting to see God doing such an incredible work. And to be able to do it with smiles on our faces and laughter in our hearts brings great joy. But we can't forget this is serious work. If we're going to name ourselves after Jesus, beloved, we had better seek to represent Him well. Here in this chapter, we're introduced to three marks of an abiding church, abiding in the true vine, abiding in Christ Jesus. Mark number one is that true vine branches bear fruit. Number two is that true vine branches love. And number three is that true vine branches will suffer. Let's look at each of these marks separately. Mark number one, true vine branches bear fruit. Read along with me if you have your Bibles open. Uh, and I would invite you to stand for the first section of our reading. We're going to wind up reading this whole chapter, but right now, just as we stand in honor of the reading of the Word, I'm going to read from John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Take note of verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, if you keep my commandments. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the comfort of your word. And we thank you for the conviction of your word. Father, this morning I would pray that as we spend a few moments together walking through this book as briefly as we will, that you would penetrate our hearts with it and that indeed we would be branches of the true vine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Certainly there's a whole lot that we could pull from this passage. I told our 522 group that there's 27 verses in John chapter 15, I could probably preach a message from every one of them. Instead of that, I created a prayer guide. Hopefully you picked one up. I think there's still a few back there, but we have got a prayer guide uh, that looks like this. Praying through John 15. Uh, every verse is numbered, and I've offered a few thoughts on prayer uh, that we could pray through this chapter together. Uh, there's 27 verses a few more days in the month of May, but today's May 1st, and it would be a great day to read verse 1 and pray through verse 1. Tomorrow, verse 2 and following, as we walk through this book together. There is so much that is in here, but what I want to do this morning is ask two questions of this passage. Question number one is, what does it mean to abide? And question number two is, what fruit do we bear by abiding. If an abiding branch bears fruit, what does it mean to abide? And what is that fruit? Question number one, what does it mean to abide? I talked about this a little bit last week. Abiding is a concept that the Apostle John builds in both his gospel and his letters. The word for abide has two major perspectives. Two major points of view. One is location. And the other is time. In essence, it means to stay put for good. It means to tarry or linger, not to depart, but to remain where you are a long time, to endure, to last. Abiding has the idea of something that is permanent, not temporary. It means to wait, to be united, patiently joined together. This makes sense in that Jesus connects abiding with bearing fruit. We know we don't walk outside and plant a vineyard one day. And then return the next expecting fresh fruit. Abiding is our being in Christ for the long haul. Patiently united with one another as he nourishes us and causes us to grow. What does abiding look like practically for us? I think Jesus tells us in this passage a few things about what it means to abide. First, we find in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are already clean. It means that you are saved and our lives are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means his word 
For us, that's the Bible. His Word is alive and active in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. It means that we have a genuine relationship with Jesus. We have recognized His death and His burial and His, burial and his resurrection and we have repented. We have truly repented and surrendered by faith to the Lordship of Jesus and Jesus alone. It means that we seek out opportunity to worship, to pray, and to join others in Christian community. Abiding means we are clean. But secondly, in verse 8, it means that we are His disciples. That our lives are conforming to His. We are thinking more like Jesus. We are loving and we are loving more like Jesus. And we are serving more like Jesus. Abiding in Christ. Listen please. Because you struggle with this and so do I. Abiding in Christ is a long term process. It is the opposite of the instant expectations of our culture. It's not microwave popcorn. It's not curing coffee by the cups. Friends, it's not Netflix or HBO or Disney Plus dumping a whole season of programming so we can binge watch it in an evening or a weekend. It means that we don't bail when our feelings get hurt or we get upset or we don't understand or we don't get away, get our way. It means that we abide. It means we stay put. Let me ask this. When we think of this church, when we think of the church that we are planting, True Vine Baptist Church, as we seek to plant this new work to the glory of Christ, to the exaltation of Jesus, to the proclamation of His gospel, are we thinking in terms of where we'll be in six months or two years? Or are we thinking in terms of where will this church be in 25 years, in 50 years, in a hundred years when none of us will be here? Is it for our comfort in the short term? Or is it for eternity? If it's eternity, then we're abiding. Then we are abiding. Abiding takes time. Being a disciple takes time. Because bearing fruit takes time. I asked a master gardener this week. You all may know him. His name is Farmer Google. How long it took to harvest vegetables from planting. I chose broccoli first because I know that's everybody's favorite. From planting to harvest, it's 65 days. Two months. Cabbage, up to 90 days. We all love peas and carrots. If you put them in the ground, it's going to be three months. 80 to 85 days before you get a harvest. Potatoes and onions, up to 120 days. Rhubarb. You know what rhubarb is, it makes a good pie. Two years. You plant an apple tree from first fruit to best fruit, it's four years. 
you plant a grapevine, the first harvest should be between three and four years after it has matured. And a grapevine most likely is what Jesus is holding when he looks at his disciples and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding, being clean, being a disciple takes time. The fruit that Jesus is calling us to, to produce, the fruit of the Spirit, we know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things don't just grow up overnight. There's other fruit that's mentioned in the New Testament. The fruit of righteousness in Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless. Note those two words. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Pure and blamelessness don't happen like a magic trick when you pull a quarter from behind your ear. It takes time. The fruit of repentance is mentioned in Matthew chapter 3 verse 8. Jesus says, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. The fruit of repentance is a changed life. A new life in Christ. A life that Jesus calls us to in John chapter 15 verse 9. Abide in my love so that the Father is glorified by our keeping of His commandments. It's a new life. Beloved, when we call ourselves True Vine Baptist Church, I pray, I pray that we understand the first mark of an abiding church is faithful longevity whereby God produces fruit. But I need to warn us. Because in this passage there is a concern. Note verse number 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Verse number 6. If anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. Beloved, please remember the context of this passage. Jesus is only talking to 11 disciples at this moment. He's only talking to 11 disciples at this moment. Because just a few minutes ago in this story, John told us about Judas. After receiving the morsel, John chapter 13, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. Jesus, uh, uh, Judas went out. It was night. The core of abiding is enduring the pruning until much fruit is produced. Judas wanted instant results. And he got them. He got a sack of silver. He got Jesus arrested and crucified. And then he got a conscience that he couldn't live with any longer. Beloved, let's make sure we're abiding in the true vine. And we're not like the tares of the parable in Matthew 13 where we are 
in the field among the wheat, but not producing. The possibility of unbelief is real, and we can deceive ourselves in a moment. If we want the stuff of Jesus, like we sang just a few minutes ago, if we want the stuff of Jesus, but not the person of Jesus, we should take warning. We know we want Jesus when fruit, namely the fruit of Christ-like love, is present. And that's where we turn to next. Mark number two of an abiding church is that true vine branches love. Verse 12 and following, this is my commandment, John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Love seems to be a complicated concept in our culture today. Somehow or another, we can love a hot dog, our husband or wife, a million dollars, and God all in the same way. Jesus tells his disciples that the defining fruit, the defining fruit of abiding in the true vine is love. But it is not a self-centered love. It is a love defined by Jesus' words, love one another as I have loved you. We are to love as Jesus loved. Let that sink in for a moment. Love one another as Jesus has loved us. I'm going to stay within the words of Jesus in this passage to help us catch a glimpse of what that love looked like. First, Jesus says a greater love equals a sacrificial love. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The greater love, the Christ-like love is a sacrificial love. And yes, Jesus is just a few moments away from demonstrating that love by the greatest sacrifice in the history of history. So his disciples are about to see, they're about to witness what love Christ has. But he commands us to love with the same love. I'm going to invite you to look around for a moment. I know it feels a little awkward, but, but look at the people who are sitting around you this morning. Jesus says, love them the same way I love you. Love them. Imagine loving one another with a sacrificial love. These are the one another's. So what does it mean to lay down our lives for our friends? 
The immediate context means to die in their place. A little later, John's going to write in John chapter 19, so they took Jesus and they went out bearing his own cross to the place called uh, the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. With him, two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Beloved, abiding for the long haul, abiding in the true vine means giving up our lives. It means surrendering our identity, our education, our skills, our gifts, our lives for the sake of Christ that he may bear the fruit of loving one another. We hear this and we ask ourselves, look, is, is it worth it? As we look around a few moments ago at our fellow branches who are abiding in the true vine, we ask ourselves, is this worth it? Jesus seemed to think so. In verse 16, we find that Jesus' love, his sacrificial love, is also a choosing love. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. Abiding love, sacrificial love, is always a choice. And that choice starts with God. This same author in 1 John chapter 4 writes this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen to this, John chapter 4 verse 19. We love because He, God, first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. The Apostle Paul, speaking in the context of spiritual gifts, tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but earnestly seek to desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, he shows us that excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries, all the knowledge, and I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not reject at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Beloved, I think sometimes we find ourselves longing and hoping for fruit that Jesus has not promised. Yes, the Holy Spirit works in the life of every believer in every local church. 
And by the way, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. It's through the local church. He doesn't call out lone wolf Christians to go out on their own and change the world with the magical powers of God. We would do well to take note of Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8. When Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands of the apostles, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. God, through His Spirit, gifts us with the fruit of love that we experience in Christ and then choose to sacrificially display for one another. Remember the words I read a few moments ago from John 4, 1 John 4. If anyone says, I love God, but I hate my brother, the Bible says he is a liar. Love. Christ-like, life-sacrificing, intentionally choosing love is the essential fruit of abiding in the true vine. What, regardless of what other gifts we may have, does love cause us to choose one another to the point of surrender, to the point of surrendering our resources, times, gifts, Jobs, recreation, lives, hobbies, whatever it is. Yes, you can be a Christian in all of those areas. And most of the time, that is your mission field to share the gospel and the love of Christ. But when you and I begin to sacrifice our lives for the temporary, it's time to take warning. There's one other mark of the fruit of love. And that is that love is vulnerable. Look at verse 15 with me. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For everything that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. He held nothing back. So love that is sacrificial and chosen is also vulnerable. Friends, we have to know each other. As Jesus knew his disciples and as they knew him. The only way to care for one another, to love one another, is a holy vulnerability that causes us to repent to one another, to pray for one another, to support and walk through the struggles of life together. We need to know each other. We need to know what the Father is teaching each of us so that as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, we see His unifying work. It's sacrificial, it's chosen, and it's vulnerable. This vulnerability is especially important in the final mark of an abiding church. And that is that true vine branches will suffer. 
Verse 18 to the end of the chapter. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 1, I said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I think sometimes it's hard to read. I think it's sometimes hard for us to read verses 18 and following. Especially after reading verse 14 when Jesus says, You are my friends. I've called you my friend. If we are friends of Jesus, then why such suffering from the world? Two answers briefly this morning. One is that friendship with Christ is enmity with the world. Eight times in this passage, Jesus says the world hates him. The world hates him, it hates his father, and it hates his church. The friends of Jesus, the ones who love one another, are the ones that that hatred is aimed at. So where does this hate come from? The answer is it comes from the devil. It comes from Satan, a real entity, a fallen angel, the prince of the air, the ruler of darkness. Notice the contrast in this chapter. God's love in Christ displayed in Christ's church and Satan's hatred of God displayed in this world. Beloved, we cannot live in both worlds. Sometimes I think we believe we can plant a fruitful tree in poisonous soil and expect good fruit. We come to church and we act like Christians one day and then we live like the world for the rest of the week. That's not abiding in Christ. As a matter of fact, John says Jesus' words, that is hating Christ. And recognizing who the enemy is, is important because we've got to know we're not fighting people. We're fighting evil. And the only weapon to destroy evil and hatred is the love of the gospel. 
but it is a cycle of suffering. The more we love those in the world and seek to see them to come to Christ through His death and His resurrection, the more we are hated by that same world that we're seeking to love and reach. The world today loves so many churches, mostly because those churches resemble their father, the devil, more than their father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus' words to the religious leaders in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. The religious leaders is who he's saying this to, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. One of the marks that we are abiding in Christ and bearing fruit of Christ-like love is this world will grow in their hatred. But secondly, it's in the crucible of suffering where the most fruit is produced. John chapter 15, near the end, verse 26, when the helper comes, when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Picking up in chapter 16, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. You'll be run out of churches. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. It's what Saul, before he became Paul, thought. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that you will, that when the hour comes, you will remember what I told you. In the environment of the world's hatred, we will bear witness. Yes, in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, but here in Christ, in the Spirit, is where we are called to bear fruit. Notice verse 26 here. The presence of all three persons of the Trinity. When the Helper, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I, Jesus, is speaking the Son will send you from the Father. When the Spirit comes, who I send from the Father, and it's not enough to say at one time in that verse, He keeps going. The Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness of me. Twice Jesus tells us that in the middle of being hated by the world, we are eternally loved by the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are strengthened to bear witness and to abide. It's going to be difficult. And it's going to take time. And we're going to struggle. But we're going to bear fruit. And it only comes by abiding. It only comes by staying for the long haul. I'm going to close this morning with Psalm 80. This is a prayer of restoration. A prayer of restoration for the vine 
Psalm 80, this vine has grown wild and it's failed to yield good fruit. I pray as we seek such humility and repentance that God restores and grows abiding fruit in this church. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray with me as we walk through this song. Allow to speak to your heart and to our hearts. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? so that all who pass along may pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life. We will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts, let your face shine that we will be saved. Father, today that is our prayer. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. As you are doing a work among this people, among each heart, among this church, I pray that when we hear the words true vine, we recognize that that means that as branches, we abide in Christ. We live, we remain, we linger, we stay, we learn, we grow. I pray that you help us to begin to see that this is not a process that will ever be finished. But that we are planting here something that will bear fruit for years to come if we abide in his love and we love 
one another sacrificially choosing because you first loved us sharing the hope of the gospel with both the lost and the saved both the redeemed and those who still count themselves as enemies of the father and of the son and of his church we pray O oh holy spirit that you would fill us with your love and that among all the gifts that you may provide, that love would be the dominant. That we would not be a clanging symbol or a nothing that Paul speaks of. But that love would never end. We pray you put the hedge of protection as the psalmist wrote about that has been torn down. We pray that you build that up. We pray that you walk with us and strengthen us guide us. We pray, Father, that over this next month, even as we pray through this passage, you would continue to speak to the heart of individuals and speak to the heart of this church. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The command is to abide. The promise is that you will provide fruit. Father, I pray you focus our hearts on abiding. And that we would celebrate and worship you when you provide the fruit. For the one who may be here or who may hear this as a recording sometime down the road that does not know you as Savior and Lord, I would pray today that you would draw their heart to you. I pray today that they would see that they are separated from the true vine and that their lives are withering and that there is no eternal fruit. And that in that, Father, you would speak to them in such a way to enliven their hearts that they would be, though dead in their trespasses and sin, made alive in Christ to a place of repentance and belief. And today would be the day of salvation. And today would be the day of restoration. Walk with us as we seek to do your will. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.